Hi, everyone. Welcome to Light from the Rabbit Hole podcast. I'm Dawn Whitney. I started this podcast to share my own story and to share stories of light in the dark corners of trauma, chronic and mental illness and addiction. It will also include brave stories within the LGBTQIA community. On today's episode titled A Bright Light Within Recovery, I speak with Carlin Park, who is a sober addict that is about to celebrate 13 years of sobriety from drugs and alcohol. She also happens to be a very dear friend of mine who I have the honor of speaking to regarding her journey to health and wellness. And I just can't wait for her to share her inspiring story of recovery. In Carlin's words, everyone can recover. She's probably one of my most favorite people on this planet and has personally helped me draw much clearer boundaries in my own son's addiction. Let's dive in. I want to welcome everybody to uh, a really important topic that we're going to be covering today with a good friend of mine that I want to introduce to the show. Uh, And her name is Carlin Park, and uh, I have known Carlin now, boy, how many years? Just not, it's a pretty new friendship, would you say? Maybe going on two years. Two years. And so I'll just give you a, a quick overview about our relationship and how the universe brought us together because that is an absolute fact, <laughs> right? Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. So Carlin and I um, actually met in California. She's based in the Coachella Valley and she is a very, very successful um, hairstylist and salon owner. She and her husband um, both own a great, great spot. And what's beautiful about it is that we all know that hairdressers uh, are almost like therapists, wouldn't you say? I think that, yeah, I think there were a lot of things. Therapists, energy workers, healers. Absolutely. Because you're listening to so many stories happening at the time that someone is sitting in your chair for three hours and you build a relationship. And sharing so much energy. Yeah. Yes. It's really special. It's special work. It's very special work. And, and so we, we actually, I mean, I'm just such a a big believer in, in asking the universe for what you want and sitting back and letting it happen. And so I have a home in, um, in the Coachella Valley, and I had been looking for a hairdresser to help me through the months that I was there so that I wasn't having to fly back to Portland to get my hair done. And I'd had a couple of bad experiences (laughs) out there. And so I was really nervous and I literally prayed about it. I was like, I've got, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I was like, I have got to find someone that is going to be amazing. And when I asked for that, I didn't realize that what I was asking for was a brand new friend that was on this journey with me. I feel like I'm hearing that part for the first time and that feels so special. It's like you, we, you called me in. I did. I called you in. I did. That's awesome. So what was really cool is I went to Yelp and I, you know, there's, there's thousands of them out there, hairdressers out there. And I started reading the reviews and the reviews were so phenomenal and everything about the review was just, um, was around your energy and your positivity and just, I don't know, I was just drawn to it. I thought, this is my girl. So, and, and let's hope she can do hair. 
Exactly. There's so, always that, there's always that um, slight reservation. I totally yeah. get it. I was like, on paper, she sounds great. Let's see if she can really do my hair. Yes. And the, and the best part is, is that my hair has never looked better and it oh. is unbelievable. Of course, now that we're in quarantine, I don't know how great it looks, but, um, <laughs> but it's, it's phenomenal. So we had an instant connection. I sat in your chair. We didn't know each other. And pretty early on in the conversation, I think maybe that first meeting, I shared with you some personal information about my life and about my son. And it was a really interesting thing that happened because I could tell out of the gates that you were someone that was very um, kind of shy and reserved with your story. And it's a very special story that is special to you. And you don't just, you don't just hand it out to anyone um, outside of your uh, recovery, you know, group of, of friends. So I very was true. right. Am yeah, I right? That's on that? a very intuitive observation. You honed in on that. I do typically out at, you know, in the salon when I'm working with clients, I do keep it. I try to keep it, you know, pretty professional. But I don't, you know, I don't hold back to open up when I feel like somebody could, you know, benefit from anything I, I ha would have to share. Yes, yes. And so that was, was kind of the amazing thing about our connection is that I am very much an extrovert and very open about the struggles that I personally have been through and that my son has been through. But I don't typically just sit down in someone's chair and just start sharing it. But I felt so compelled that the universe had called us together for some strange reason that I just wanted to share. I just felt like you had something to share with me. Um, so I can't remember, maybe you do, if it was the very first time we sat together or if it was the second time that I came back when you started to share your story with me. But what we're going to talk about today and what I hope that the listeners will, will get from this is that we're going to talk about a... a a story of um, hope, compassion, empathy. Um, I, I maybe even dare to say the word triumph because mm -hmm. I think that you have triumphed, you know, over quite a bit in your life. Um, in, in the hopes that we can share your story, which walks the line very similarly to mine, um, that could potentially help people out there who don't either understand addiction, what to say, what not to say, how to support someone that is, is in recovery or has not gone into recovery yet, um, how to support those around them, and um, just to really get in touch with their, their true calling of what this walk is all about for them in this life. So I think that's a really important component. And also, obviously, some of the things that kind of led you down the path uh, of addiction, which encompasses a, you know, a, a component of mental health, but there's some other things involved. So I think it's a really fascinating story. And I want everybody to know that um, I didn't have to twist her arm too much on this. I thought I was going to. <laughs> But I think because there is so much love and trust between the two of us in really such a short amount of time, I feel like you're 
my soul sister. Like totally. we are separated at birth somehow. Absolutely. I, I know. Do you feel that way too? Yeah. And we both, we shared the, I remember right away too, we shared the connection of, of music. We were both involved a little bit in um, playing and doing music. So I yes. think that, yeah, we definitely had a connection right away. We have to talk about that. That's, that's <laughs> important. I mean, the music is important. I mean, if someone listening to this decides they want to put a band together, I mean, we've got <laughs> a we bass are. player. <laughs> we've got a really good bass player and a singer. And I, I mean, I can do some tambourine work, but it's not great. Whatever it takes. (laughs) So I, I want to just kind of start, I want to preface it by saying that I appreciate you doing this because I know how vulnerable it is to talk about your story in a really raw and open way. Um, But I know that you also do it very often with people who who reach out or who need you and, and you mm-hmm. mentor them, which is so inspiring. Um, but someone who's listening right now, you know, who doesn't know you and doesn't know kind of how we got here. Um, I think it's going to be a really powerful uh, discussion. And mm-hmm. I just want to thank you for that. Cause I just adore you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I love you. I love you too. So let's start with, um, You know, you gave me some really good advice that I asked for, which you didn't volunteer it, but you gave me some great advice when I was dealing with a lot of things with my son. And I just have to tell you before we go into your story that that was such a, uh, I felt like you threw me a lifeline because Uh I, yeah, I just didn't, I don't want to say I was sinking at that point because I think I had come out a little bit on the other side, but I was still fuzzy about a lot of things around addiction and how to best support him and not enable him. Um, And so you had said some things to me in the beginning of our conversation that were so bold and so just dead on that really, like when I would get into a situation with my son, I would think back, oh, Carlin, I remember when Carlin said this, you know? So I want you to know that how powerful that was for me and that you did impact my life tremendously Mm -hmm. by doing that. So- So let's kind of, let's step back and let's start with, you know, an overview of kind of how this, how you got to where you are and how you've come out on the other side. And I mean, maybe let's start with kind of when you first, as you said to me, felt like you just didn't belong, right? You just didn't belong here on this earth. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I think that is a key component that a lot of a lot of people certainly feel, um, I would say certainly drug addicts, alcoholics, anyone who struggles with addictions, probably all relate to feeling at at one point like, um, like they didn't belong, like they didn't fit in. And I would just say, you know, I, I feel like I have a very kind of average, basic, run of the mill type of addiction story. I wasn't you know, I didn't go, you know, my bottom was not like the lowest bottom that, that you'll ever, that you'll ever hear about, certainly. And it wasn't the highest, like, oh, I just drank a little bit too much on the weekends and decided that, you know, this was just going to be a better way of life for me after just a few little consequences. You know, it's, it's, it's somewhere right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from a family with a lot of addiction, alcoholism background. My mom um, actually passed away 
um, as a direct result of her, um, what I was told, you know, later as I got older was her alcoholism and her addiction, but she had a seizure that took her life when she was 36 years old. Oh and I'm, gosh. I'm 30. So that's just like a year older than I am right now. And you were and how I, old then? I was six years old when, when she passed away. And, um, I was, you know, with my dad who drank heavily and then also raised, you know, with my grandparents where there was certainly heavy drinking, <clears throat> excuse me. And then my mom's sister, my aunt, um, was, uh, raising me also. And there's definitely um, alcoholism and addiction there. And she's the only person from that, from my um, immediate family who's still alive. And mm. she's still living, you know, with that um, addiction. And hers has taken her, you know, I would say, you know, pretty far. I'm kind of a marvel at the fact that she's still alive, honestly. Is that right? So she's yeah. in an active, an active addiction. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And hers has really, you know, she, I think she was able to maintain and like hide it for not necessarily hide it, but she could maintain it for many years and kind of keep um, on the surface looking like everything was okay. But then once, you know, I, you know, I got older and I left and then I got sober and her parents both passed and all of this and things just really, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't hide it. She couldn't maintain it anymore. But just fast forward, you know, through my childhood, you know, and, and losing my mom when I was young and then kind of like moving a little bit back and forth to my dad and my grandparents and with my aunt, I, the, I just felt, you know, like what you were talking about, like I just didn't belong in that family on this planet, like the aliens dropped me off, like I just <laughs> did not know, you know, I, I was really in a fantasy world. I, I remember believing, you know, for a while that maybe like my mom was going to come back at some point mm -hmm. and like save me or something. Like, yeah. So you feel like you had maybe like a little bit of a, of a spiritual um, sickness, I guess you would call it. Like you didn't feel like you fit in. Right. I just mm -hmm. felt lost in that. And I think that that is something um, you know, that I really hone in on or that resonated with me that we start to learn about, you know, in, um, in the recovery community is we talk about, you know, how we have this, um, physical reaction to alcohol and drugs when we put them in our system that is maybe not the same that, um, other people have or norm air quotes, normal people sure. have, but by, by normal, I just mean people who, who don't have addiction. Yes. So there's a physical reaction, you know, that, that I have with drugs and alcohol that maybe other people don't have. And then, you know, a mental component to that also. And then I believe, you know, there's a spiritual component to it also, just this spirit, like soul sickness. Mm -hmm. And I know that I had that I had that before I ever took my first drink. Let's talk about that a second, because that's really fascinating. And I've, I've heard people talk about this before, but I don't think we've, we've ever, you know, I've ever really truly um, quantified what that means, the soul sickness. So talk about that so people kind of understand what you mean. The best way I can describe it is just that feeling of being uh, lost, like um, hiding, hiding from myself from my true self, um, everything being, being too much. So you have to hide, 
Hiding is the best way I can really describe it. Interesting. So you can't be open and honest with your yourself and your feelings about anything because you just are so disconnected. Yeah. Disconnection is another, yeah. Disconnected from your, your truest self. Mm. And I think that a lot of people, you know, maybe if you experience some trauma as you know, a younger, at a young age, or maybe, you know, mental, mental illness, anything like that. My aunt certainly had, you know, mental illness and I was, you know, exposed to that. And I think that that can be traumatic for, you know, young, young people. So do you think that maybe, you know, without putting too many labels on anything, but do you think Mm -hmm. that maybe just watching growing up the way you grew up, and in the survival mode that you were in without a mom and, and watching the person that was your role model who was so, um, who was so sick was a, is definitely a part of like a lingering piece of maybe PTSD or something that, I mean, it's trauma. It definitely, yeah, it definitely affects you at a core level. At, at a, and I think that you honed in on it when you said disconnection. It's like that soul part is like um, shattered. Yes, you know? but I want. I do also want to just put it out there that you know, I, I, my family loved me. They yeah. they they loved me, you know, the best the best they they could, and they were doing the best they could, you know, with with what they had. And we had, you know, there were good times. There was fun times. There was a lot of laughter in the household. It was a party household, you know, sure. where I grew up <laughs> with my with my grandparents. My grandfather was a retired police chief, you know, and he had, you know, in Palm Springs from like the sixties and they had lots of friends, they had cocktail parties, you know, and I, it it was a fun, it was a fun environment to grow up in, but you know, the, the alcoholism in in a, it's a family illness. Absolutely. there's, There's the shadow of it hangs over, you know, penetrates everything, unfortunately. And, and that was your main drug of choice, correct? Well, so I got started, so I got started at a relatively young age. And I think I I mean, by today's standards, you know, maybe not so young. But um, so I would, my story is kind of like, I was never going to be like them. So I was never going to drink. I hated alcohol. I hated how it smelled. Um, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand what it did to people specifically like my aunt and my dad, when I would see them get drunk or my grandfather, Mm -hmm. I, I hated, resented what this did to them. And I was never going to be like them. But the very strange thing is like, by the time I was like 14 years old, I was stealing pills from my, from my aunt, from her you know, chest of drawers, um, stealing, stealing pills, drinking cough syrup, stuff like that. Not even really knowing, I don't think really what I was doing yet. Mm -hmm. I think that I was just doing anything to feel different or to like check out. But at that time I couldn't even identify at that early of an age, I wouldn't even have been able to identify it as like, I was getting higher. I was getting drunk. Interesting. So you started with mm -hmm. that. Mm-hmm. started with that. And then by the time I got to high school, you know, the friends that I fell in with were, were partying. So it started mm-hmm. really for me, you know, smoking pot, smoking weed, yeah. you know, taking, you know, taking drugs. And then I got into 
the alcohol, which you got into alcohol, which yeah. is funny because that's the one thing you didn't love and you mm-hmm. hate, you hated everything about it. Right. And, but as soon as, but as soon as, you know, I did drink, I was like, Oh, it was like light bulb. I was like, Oh, well, this is why people drink because it's like the best thing ever. Yeah. Like I think I lived in constant, um, well, I know I did just a constant feeling of unease and, you know, kind of like anxiety and fear and um, just the feeling, like I was saying, of not fitting in and, and um, just unease. Yeah. And that, and as soon as, you know, alcohol just took that, took that took away. It, away. it was a magic elixir. It was like, I can just be in my body. So when you, when you got to the point where you were at your very worst, was there, I mean, this is the thing we always talk about. You and I have talked about this before. Um, is that, you know, everybody's bottom is different Uh and some people, especially, um, well, especially addicts are learn how to be very comfortable in their uncomfortableness, Uh right? And their uncomfortableness might be a different level than, than mine. Like some people can tolerate a lot more shit than someone else would. Uh Right. And so did you, do you think that there was a defining moment for you that was like, this is enough? Yeah, there were a couple, you know, and I had, and I had, I, I had signs, you know, from the beginning, I didn't drink, you know, a, um, like other people. I was drinking uh, for oblivion. I, you know, was blacking out. So that's a, that's an, um, that's a physical, you know, reaction that could, um, point to some type of allergy, you know, in, mm-hmm. within my body. But um, yeah, was, and I had, um, you know, I was getting involved right from the beginning in um, lots of, you know, promiscuity. My morals were completely out the window. Like I said, I'm, st- you know, before I even picked up the drink, I was like really lost. So then you add alcohol and drugs to that. And I just went downhill super fat like neck breaking speed you know I was involved in relationships that were violent um I was you know I left home as soon as I could and ended up you know kind of going you know from place to place because I was totally reliant on other people to take care of me because I was not really able to take care of myself too Mm. well in that condition but yeah there were a couple times um, I can remember a couple times, you know, just sleeping in my car because I couldn't, you know, couldn't get to a place where somebody would like let me in to stay with them. Being essentially, I don't want to say homeless because there are people who like are really, really homeless. I was not really, really homeless, but I was going from place to place, sometimes sleeping mm-hmm. in my car, sometimes, you know, would like lose all my belongings, <laughs> not yeah. being able to get them back and just um just super destructive and super just destructive and just yeah. like thinking that that was a normal way to live at like 18 19 20 like 20 years old mm-hmm. um 21 yeah. years old and then um I got I got sober young and have stayed sober so I'm really grateful I got sober at 22 years old and you've been sober now for how many years? 13? It's going to be 13 years in September. It's so great. It's so great. Yeah. And you met your husband. Who... I did. Yeah. Tell me but about let that. me just, 
um, so that all kind of happens actually at the same time. Is oh, good. Tell me. Every, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like jumping ahead. I want all the good stuff. <laughs> no, but I think uh, if I had to choose like a defining, defining moment, um, it would be when I was, I think, yeah, I was 22 years old when my dad was dying from cancer. And he was, um, I had already lost, you know, my grandparents, my relationship. When I lost my grandma when I was 18, that was really bad. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that was bad. And then my relationship with my aunt was, um, you know, strained. And then by the time I had, was losing my dad from cancer, that was like a, a shock uh, to me because he was kind of like a last lifeline he you sure. know and you know how addicts it's why this is why you know addicts um you know try our patients and I've been on on both sides of it the person who loves an addict or an alcoholic and then also the person in the active disease and addiction um you know I would do stuff like show up on my dad's doorstep he would he would not have heard from me or talk to me for months and I would like show up on his doorstep and be like with like a friend who he didn't know and be like hey let me clean your apartment for like 20 bucks mm, you know? this sounds real familiar yeah so like, I could <laughs> go you know do what I had to do and he, he would always act like um oblivious kind of but I knew that he knew that the way I was living was not, was not, um, healthy or yeah. right. <laughs> and, um, and, um, but so he I wouldn't think, say anything to you about but it. He would never say anything to me about it. And I don't know if that had just had to do with like how he grew up. We don't really talk about these things. I can only speculate or imagine what he must've gone through, you know, with my mom who passed away, he never remarried or anything after that. And I'll never forget, you know, calling him. And, you know, when I went into um, a detox, detox and just, you know, saying, you know, I'm really sick dad. And he's like, well, how? And I was like, well, I think I'm sick, you know, like how my mom was. And that's all I could. That's like the most detail that I could use with him. You couldn't say it. Mm -mm. Yeah. Why but do you he, think but he knew? I don't, what? I just think that he wasn't com comfortable with that kind of conversation. And yeah. then I didn't really have the tools at that time either to really have direct communication. I've gotten a lot better with that since I've been sober, but he knew what I meant. And I was sober, you know, when he passed away. Thank goodness. I had like 30, maybe 30 years, maybe, yeah, between 30 and 60 days of sobriety. I was in sober living when he um, passed away. And I was just, um, I knew I had a knowing that if he died and I was not sober, that I was not going to make it. Like I wouldn't have been able to handle that loss and live through it. Isn't that something? Yeah. Even though we weren't, we weren't super close or anything. I mean, but it's your dad. So you, felt, <laughs> you felt like you honestly felt like I don't want to do this to him right? Is that kind of what you were thinking? Like, I can't let, let him down. Like, like what it happened was, with my it mom. Was, it was that. And then I, mm -hmm. there, I think there was that. And I think it was also just like, I knew that with that, the trajectory that I was going with my drinking and my using that if I had, if he died while I was in active addiction, I felt like I was, I was going to die. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't that's pretty big. I mean, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty big. That's so that yeah. is definitely your moment. 
That was my moment. Yeah, but when you knew, moment. when you knew that you, when you said to your, to your dad, you know, I think I'm sick mm-hmm. and you told him that, what did, I mean, did, did anything happen to, to get you to propel you to that point where you knew that, or was it just over time you knew and it was getting worse and worse? And it was worse getting and... worse. It was okay. definitely getting, it was getting worse. I was in, you know, living situations that I was really not happy with, you know, um, yeah, really not happy with. Isn't it just crazy the things that we do, um, as you know, what I like the things that I watch that Cole would allow himself to be okay with the things that you do when you're an addict and you are just desperate, um, and, and the things that you will allow ha- to happen to you. Isn't right. that, I mean, that in itself is, is such a, a, a damaging piece of this whole illness, right? Yeah. And it's just so damaging to your, to your soul because you're just living in a way that is not in alignment, you know, with who you truly are and just the, the shame and guilt of living that way. It's like that vicious cycle, you know, that's so cliche, but it's so true. You have to keep, um, drinking and using to be able to handle the guilt and the shame of the consequences of drinking and using. Yeah. It's just, it's just a cycle that never ends. And so when you, when you made that decision, did you make that decision with any support? Did you have anyone to support you when you were making that decision or did you just do it yourself? So the interest, so the, that, and that's the interesting thing about where I had just met my husband, my now husband, <laughs> but yeah. I had no idea that this guy was going to be uh, my husband when I met him, but I was living, you know, I was in this uh, living situation that I really wasn't happy with living with this um, man that, you know, was way, way older than me and who, you know, I, I just, I lived, I lived there, but I didn't want to be living there. and. Um, I couldn't, I knew that I couldn't really work. Um, I couldn't show up for a job. I couldn't um, trust myself myself to show up because um, I had tried it lots of times and I just, I couldn't do it. And then um, I got this like weird idea that I would go to beauty school. I don't know where it came from. I was going to go to cosmetology school, but I had grown up with some cosmetology, you know, hair stylists and my aunt at one point did hair and then her friend my uncle who I had a really close relationship with um did hair and I just thought well that's what I'm gonna do because and it's kind of grandiose thinking too because it's like really backwards because it's like okay you can't even show up for a regular job but you're gonna go get a career but that was my (laughs) but that was my thinking at the time I was like if I had something if I had something that I liked doing I wouldn't have to live like this anymore was kind of what I was, what I was thinking. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And, um, I got, uh, I got a relative to pay for me to go to cosmetology school. I guess I was just, um, really convincing. The better word is probably manipulative is what I I got this, uh, yeah, relative to pay for me to go. And I went and I had actually met, you know, on the first day of cosmetology school, I met my now husband Brent and he was sober. He he was sober. And I had been to, um, you know, I had been involved a little bit in, in recovery, but never truly committed but I had shown up, you know, here and there in recovery, um, 
maybe when I was like 20, 20 years old. Okay. But I never, but I, I didn't commit. Until you met him. I didn't, I didn't stay. And then that, I want to say that that was also dually like a part of my, of my motivation to get, to get sober at the time that my dad was dying. Cause I knew I had a connection with this person, but there was like no way for me to really have a relationship with this person of the way I was living and, the, and then the way he was living. Yeah. But it's not like we got together like right away. I had to go, you know, do what I had to do, but it, it did have an influence on me. So when you, so when you met him, then did you, is that the, the moment where you said, I'm going to commit to this hundred percent and I'm going to, I'm going to get fully, fully clean and sober. I think it all worked together. Yeah. I mean, all the different elements just came together with knowing that my dad was going to die, being really unhappy, you know, with, with where I was at, knowing, knowing that, you know, drugs and alcohol were a part of my problem and then meeting him, it all kind of was like this little tornado. Yeah. That all kind of whirled around and got, got me to, to where just one day I was like, okay, this is, this is enough. This is it. And you, and, and so since then you two both are so involved in recovery. (laughs) It's your life. It's, it's your story. It's your journey. Yeah. It's pretty crazy looking back on it. Like I, again, I would never have known at that time that this was, you know, actually going to be the person that I was going to spend the rest of my life with. I could not have seen that at that time, but um, yeah, I went, I went to detox. I went to sober living. My dad passed while I was there. I was away for like four months and, um, we did, you know, reconnect while I was away. And, um, I ended up coming back and going back to cosmetology school and like getting my little, you know, my little job, my first sober job. And, and we, we got together at that point. It's such a great together pretty much ever since. Ever since. Yeah. And you work together and you own this and you own the salon together. Right. You know, it's really interesting. I want to ask you this just from where I'm sitting right now with the you know, kind of where we're at with Cole, because I'm always looking for great advice from you specifically, is, you know, he just came out of another treatment program that I think was actually a really good one because they did dual diagnosis. Um, He's in an intensive outpatient program right now. And he's, you know, none of it is in person because everything is over, you know, online, which is really, really tough right now if you are in recovery, totally. you're trying to stay in recovery totally. and not being connected to people um, that you can see and hug and touch yeah. and feel. And um, sure. we do have resources where we can come together online, you know, and that, mm-hmm. and it's, it is powerful. It, it works. Um, I think it's a little bit harder not being yeah. in, in the physical space, but it is, it is, um, it is available and it is working. It is working. Yeah. And I think, you know, he's doing that as well. So he's in this in- intensive outpatient program. He's also attending meetings and, and he's doing all of that. And he has some therapy, has a therapist that he sees. Um, but one of the things that we kind of talk to him about is, okay, you're out, you are, you know, we're going to help support you, get you on your feet kind of in these 30 day increments. Um, 
we don't have him living here with us because there's, you know, there's just lots of reasons why that doesn't work, which you and I should talk about. Yeah. Let me, let's do that. Actually, let's pause and talk about that because okay. I was very close, very close to saying, come home and everything's going to be so great. And, and you were one of many that said, it's not a good idea, including a couple therapists, right. That we were working with. So what's your thought on that piece? Yeah. I think, um, like I, like I always say in our conversations, I'm always so, I, I hate to give any, you know, um, hard, fast advice because I think it's a case by case and you can't ever say like, this one thing is always the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I can just share, you know, from my personal experience. And I think that sometimes we get maybe, Um, like those of us sometimes in recovery can get like a bad rap maybe for being like too harsh, but it's, um, I was not, you know, ready to, to change my life until my life got really uncomfortable. And then, like you said, there's different layers and levels of uncomfortability though. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's this, um, it's this strange strange thing where what's, you know, what's enough for one person to change isn't necessarily enough for somebody else. And there's no rhyme or reason really to that. It's just when it's the, the person's time, it's their time, if it, if it is the time. Um, but I think that part of the reason, yeah, I know for sure that part of the reason why my recovery has been successful is because I was kind of out of options. I mean, we all know that, Mm. that it could have gone, it could have gone either way. I could have kept going down, down that path. And I think it would have um, ended really, really badly. But I think the reason I've been able to get sober young and stay sober young is because I didn't have the family trying to bail me out all the time. I didn't have that re I didn't have that resource where it was like, Oh, here's another treatment center here's another this it was like this is this is your chance you know some very generous family friends as a matter of fact of my of my aunt um um funded my my treatment you know and and didn't you know when I went to them to see you know if I could pay it back they wouldn't accept it so I've just tried to kind of pay it forward how how I can but I really felt like that was, that was my moment. And I didn't think, I didn't have this feeling of like, oh, well, if this time doesn't work out, I'll, you know, some, um, you know, mom or dad or grandma, grandma, who, mm. grandma, grandpa, whoever is just going to pay for me to go to treatment again. Which is one of the big reasons why I think having him not move in with us was such a good idea. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that, you know, my son has mental mm-hmm. mental illness and there are a lot of things that kind of are interwoven with his addiction that can make it really difficult to live with him. Yeah. And so, you know, and I have a marriage to, to keep together, right? right. right. Um, and I have to be considerate of Ryan. So, right. you know, I think it, it really tore good. my, it literally tore my heart out, tore it I out can only imagine, yeah. when he called me and was like, you know, you said I could come there and you said Mm. I could stay. And I said, you know, I, I did tell you that when, um, I told you when you, you know, if you had nowhere else to go, that there would always be a place for you. But I also told you, you needed to be clean and sober and, um, you know, and sustained, sustain that for a while. So it was just, 
it has been a really tough road. And so my thought was, as you were talking about this, is that, you know, um, we came up with some ideas of things and he, he actually came up with a list of things that he said he would agree to when he came out of treatment that he would say, you know, like, I will do this. I will do that. I will do this. So one of the things on there, ironically, is that he wants to go to cosmetology school. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Which is awesome. Which is awesome. However, since nothing is, is, uh, in person right now, so you have to do everything online. Wow. He is very discouraged about it and doesn't want to do it now. So now he's like, well, mom, I, I, you know, I just don't have the effort. I can't do this. And so then I said, okay, well then how about looking for, you know, a part-time job? So I guess my question is, and this is really important because I, I want the, the listeners to to hear this from, from your perspective is can we sometimes as love lovers and supporters of our addictive loved ones, can we sometimes put too many unrealistic, Mm. uh, limitations on like you, you know, uh, I need you to do X, Y, Z because we've been burned, right? right? A lot. (laughs) And we've my been manipulated. Feeling, <laughs> totally. My gut feeling is that I think that's I think that's all good. I really think that that is all good. I I guess my kind of in a general way my take on that or what's coming through for me right this moment is that those of us that have have the most tools do the most work. So right now in the relationship you have you have more tools and um you're really, you're really stepping up in a really healthy way with your boundaries intact and your communication and all of the, the skills that you're using to keep yourself in a good place. Like yeah. you're having to do, it probably feels like you're having to do all the work in the relationship, yeah. yes. but you are because you have more tools. Than That's a really, oh, that is so great. I, I so great that you said that because but it's the, exhausting for it's you exhausting <laughs> and the, and yeah and the and the exhausting part is that you know Ryan and I when we talk about this you know he is he gets very frustrated because he's mm-hmm. like look we can't you know help him if he's not willing to do something and help himself and I look at I look at this as a whole and what I'm asking you is really this specifically is that yes, I think we need to hold him accountable and he has to hold himself accountable. But, but are, is there a line where there's just too much shit you're throwing at someone who is trying to just survive day to day? Like he is doing the inpatient um, or he's doing the outpatient, uh, you know, intensive care yeah. stuff yeah. on the uh, three days a week, yeah, four hours a day, which is yeah. exhausting. That's enough for him right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then he's doing meetings. Yeah. Then he is seeing a therapist. So That's now I'm now I'm asking him to to go find a job. So right. this is where the boundaries for me and for Ryan are really blurred because we don't know are we enabling by taking care of of his housing situation and he's not doing anything or are we doing the right thing by helping him support him in his recovery? And that's the, that's the question I think that people probably have that are listening who are dealing with someone who's in an active 
addiction slash recovery, right? right? I think it's great. I think the support is beneficial as long as the addict or alcoholic, the person in recovery is keeping up their end of the bargain in their recovery, whatever that looks like for them. Okay. So in this case, it's going, you know, it's doing the outpatient, it's doing the therapy, it's doing the meetings. And maybe another, um, another thing you guys could possibly do is like use the, like the 30, 60, 90 days. It takes time, you know, for us to even out and start to feel um, somewhat normal and like we're, you know, just a part of the regular world again. Yeah. How long does that, how long does, I mean, it's different for everyone, right? I, I, for me personally, I felt pretty foggy for about a year, but again, every person's case is different. Like I had to, I had that, that four month period where I could focus on, you know, my, my recovery I mean, I always put my recovery first, but I had that four month period where like, that's all I was doing mm-hmm. was focusing on, on my recovery. And then I had, I had to go get a job and pay my bills. And, yes. and I chose to go to back to school because I wanted something else. Um, but, but every case is different. I think the support is, I might've been a little bit more self-motivated because I didn't have the, the help. But um, I think that the support is beneficial as long as the other person is kind of, as long as you're really um, clear about what the the boundaries are and and the guidelines and, you know, I'm willing to help you as long as you do X, Y, Z. And then unfortunately, because like we said, you're the one with more tools, you're the one having to check in and make sure. I I think it's so great. X, Y, Z is being done. I love that you said that and that, and see, you're always giving me advice and coaching me. I love it. It's so good. I mean, this is this is why this podcast is so important because these are real, real s- stories, real issues, and things that are we that are we are dealing with right now, right? Like we're in we're in this walk with Cole right now. It's not like Cole is on the other side, a- right. and I don't even know what that means because I right. don't know that you're ever on the other side of it, right? I don't know. I it's think a, you can, you can't you you can't. It's a it's a it's a part of of life, probably like dealing with any any other type of illness. It 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 requires constant maintenance, yes, and constant attention. But I I know for sure you can get on the other side. Um, you can and get on on the on the out of the dark and into the light. That's into the I mean. light, yeah. And and the people that love you mm-hmm. and care about you. Um, this, this is a component I want to talk about is I've been in a situation where I've had family and friends say to me, um, you know, why don't you just stop talking to him? Why don't you just give up? Just give up. You know, he doesn't want, he does, nothing's going to work out until he's ready. Nothing is good. Um, is going to happen. That's, that's good for him until you, you know, cut him out of your life and you stop connecting with him. And this is a very real situation that mothers and fathers and family members, you know, brothers, sisters, that, mm-hmm. that they hear from people who are not walking the walk, who are not in it, who have limited, limiting beliefs right. around addiction and mental right. health that frankly in my mind, should not be giving anybody any opinions about that, 
Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Unless it's at, yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, who don't have ex- the experience, it's just hard to give and, you know, you can't relate. I guess the word is you just can't really relate unless you've gone through it yourself um, on either side. And yeah. uh, like, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, if, 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 if somebody, if like your son had cancer, people would, would respond really differently. Yes. Then okay. Let's talk about has, that. Has addiction. Um, yes. So let's talk about that. But, but let me preface it by saying this. So I was talking to you the other day about this and I said, you know, what's interesting, Carlin, is I have people in my life now who, who mean well, their intentions are well, no one, no one is, is in actively in my life that is not a supporter and a, 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 a love. They're you not know. trying to hurt you. No, they're not trying to yeah. hurt us. Uh, but I think sometimes with the uneducation um, and misinformation that people have around addiction and mental health, that, that it just inevitably comes out that a little bit malicious, right? So yeah. So what happens is I constantly hear, and I say constantly because it is happening on a daily basis, from people who are close friends and who are acquaintances, where there's almost like a grimace on their face, like, hey, um, mm-hmm. how's Cole doing? Is everything? I, I, right. You don't have to answer that. I know it's really uncomfortable. And right. you know what? Yeah, it, let's talk about it. It is uncomfortable, right. but it's not uncomfortable for me. It's right. uncomfortable for you. Right. <laughs> so, so when I said to you, you know, people tippy, tiptoeing around and afraid to, to ask how he is, you made this comment, which I want you yeah. to share. It was so dead on right. What'd yeah. you say? I think I was just, um, I was saying that like, you know, if, if, if a family member has, has cancer, you know, everybody's sad and what can I do and how can I help and what can I bring and what do you need? And I think with the person who has, you know, the addict loved one, um, it's a little different. It might be like that at first, but once it's like the fifth, sixth, seventh, you know, treatment center, it's just like, Oh God, how you just cut them off, you know, just, you know, and, um, that's tough. That's a tough one. Again, I don't think there's ever, it's a case by case. I don't think there's ever one right or wrong way. You have to follow your inner guidance, your inner tuition, inner intuition, I think has always told you that you, you want to be there for your son. But I, I see you doing it in a way that is, that seems really, really healthy, really balanced. You know, you have your boundaries. And um, I mean, I, I just know from my own experience, like w- with my aunt who's still, you know, in, in addiction, like I can't really have um, like a real relationship with her. Sure. Because of, you know, there's a lot there with our, our history and our past. And it was, um, I would even say somewhat borderline abusive um, relationship. But I have never cut her off. Like she knows how to get in touch with me. You know? Right. And, the, never... and the, the only way you would probably reconnect with that is if she was in uh, recovery, because that's going to help. That's, that's the only relationship you should have with her. Correct. Yeah. I think the yeah. only way, well, I think the only way we could have a meaningful relationship at this point is if she um, was in recovery, if she admitted you know, was true, even if she was just truthful or honest Mm -hmm. with herself about her own um, addiction and her, the way she's living, um, that would be a step in the right direction. But um, I, 
I do um, make myself available to her in the sense that she knows, she knows my phone number. She knows I will answer the phone or text her back if she reaches out. Now I'm not going to entertain any of her (laughs) crazy antics. Antics. I have strong boundaries in place with that. Yeah. The boundaries are so important. They're so important for our own sanity. They are. And, you know, I think just, you know, there's a couple more thought, thoughts that I had around this is just the shame. You know, I have, I have a section in, in the podcast uh, where we're kind of talking about different things. Mm-hmm. Um, the uncomfortable conversations is definitely one. I think it's mm-hmm. so important to have, but also the shame and stigma that goes uh, mm-hmm. hand in hand with being an addict and then mm-hmm. also loving and supporting someone who is who is an addict, whether they're, yeah. whether they're an active addict or they're in recovery. Yeah. Um, it's kind of along the lines that we're talking about, but the shame and the stigma of that, talk about that a little bit, because I can only imagine where you've been and the people that you have no longer have in your life because you had to, you know, you had to cut them out and you had to choose a different different path, right? Yeah, I think just naturally when you choose a different path, um, people fall away, you know, from, from your past. People, places, things, situations will fall away because you're on a new path. And I think that goes, you know, for anything, um, doesn't even have to just be around addiction or mental illness. But when someone chooses something different, you know, they're, they're with their intention, their whole life is going to shift around that. But, um, I feel like I don't, I personally at this point in my journey, don't feel shame or guilt around the fact that I am, um, you know, a sober alcoholic and addict. I don't feel shame or guilt really around my past. There are certain specific memories, right? If, if that memory comes up, I'll cringe at that memory. Yeah, yeah. I will grimace at that memory. I'll feel uh, sad about it, you know, maybe even um, remorse. But sure. I think that just makes us human, yeah. you know, and part of our recovery is trying to, to make as much of those things right as we can. And from that, you get a whole world of self-esteem. You know, when I first got sober, I had no self-esteem, no self-worth. I mean, zero. And yeah. I'm somebody today, you know, who has a healthy amount of self-esteem. Yes. But, um, that's come from doing a lot of work. So I think the shame and guilt goes, you know, um, goes away with right. the work, the inner work. And then as far as having, you know, shame or guilt around, you know, a family, I think this, this um, everybody's touched in some way these days by somebody who has a mental illness or an addiction. So um, the shame and guilt goes away just by us being more open and honest. Mm-hmm. I think about it like you just, you know, you wandered in, not wandered, but you intentionally came to get your hair done with <laughs> me. And little did you know, you know, the person who was going to be doing your hair was a sober alcoholic. Probably, you know, the person who does your taxes or, you know, cleans your teeth or, you know, teaches your child at school right. or what, or works in the bank or any, you've got active um, addicts and alcoholics and recovered, recovering addicts and alcoholics and people who are in all different phases of dealing with the mental illness all around us everywhere we go. 
Absolutely. It's so perfect that you said that. And, you know, I, I agree. Like, it's interesting. I went, uh, Ryan and I were at, um, we went away a couple weekends ago for his birthday and we were at this um, really great bed and breakfast in the Oregon um, wine country. And we were sitting, yeah, it was really fun. And Mm -hmm. we were sitting outside, we were having some tea like late in the afternoon and we were sitting by this fire they had up on, and we were on this hilltop and there was this couple sitting there and they started talking to us. And, um, I'm kind of a, it's weird. I'm an extrovert, but I hate talking to people at bed and breakfast. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to know anything about you. I just want to get up in the morning early, go down, go into the living room where the coffee cart yes. is get my coffee go Let back me don't, my coffee. <laughs> don't talk to me yeah but um it's so funny because ryan always says like you're a, you're an extrovert why do you not want to go to a bed and breakfast i'm like i don't know so anyway <laughs> we're sitting there and we're having you know our tea or whatever and i am just like i want to just be i want to be quiet i want to be you know reflective i want to look at the beautiful vineyards and i don't want to talk to anybody Mm-hmm. And as fate would have it, this woman was there with her husband and right away she was like, hi, you know, and started talking to us. And she said, um, what are you guys doing? Do you have kids? And I said, yeah, we have, you know, we, we have a son. He's almost 26. And she said, oh, what does he do? And uh, it's funny because the shame that I felt for so many years of, of not, not shame of him being an addict but shame of, of where I failed to, Mm. to help him, Mm. um, would come out in conversations Mm -hmm. like that. And I would, I would make things up, you know, Mm -hmm. I would say, oh, he's, you know, oh, he works, Mm -hmm. he's at working or he's in school, or I would just lie about it because Mm -hmm. I just felt like it was easier to just cover it up than to have to have the hard conversation. And, um, and, and now I think my husband cringes when I, when that question's asked, because he knows Mm. what I'm going to (laughs) say. Right. And I said, she's going to get real honest. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know this lady. She doesn't know me. And I said, oh, I said, well, I said, yeah, he lives, you know, he lives in Portland. He actually just got out of a a treatment center um, in Newburgh and he's in recovery from uh, heroin addiction. Mm. I just got full body chills. You did? Yeah. I think that's so powerful. To just be that honest. Thanks for saying that. Oh my gosh, you're going to make me cry. So I, oh, are you crying too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to cry, cry quietly. Why are you calling me out? No. <laughs> well, no one can see us. Oh my gosh. Thank goodness. No one can see us. Um, I know. So I, I just said, yeah. And, and she looked at me. So her husband had his head down, was doing something on his phone. They both looked up. And she looked at me and she said, oh my gosh, she said, my brother is a heroin addict mm-hmm. and my daughter is struggling with addiction mm-hmm. and we have five kids. And she says, listen to this. She says, one of my daughters is a nurse and she works at a hospital where there are, where they see a lot of cases of people coming in with overdoses and abscesses and everything else. Well, ironically, her daughter was Cole's nurse at the hospital that he just came out of. Yeah. That he just came out of. Oh my gosh. So she said to me, I said, where, what hospital? So she told me and I said, what is her name? And she, she told me her name and I, 
I literally, I literally like jumped out of my chair and I was like, you're kidding me. I said, your daughter was the first nurse the first night that took care of him. And I met her and I met her at the end of his stay when he was in the hospital for nine days. I gave her, I gave her a hug. I gave her a Dutch Dutch brother's gift card because she took such good care. And we, and this woman and I, started crying. And my husband, our husbands are sitting there looking at us like, oh my God. (laughs) And it was amazing. And so she told me her story about her. She told me what was going on with her daughter. She told me what was going on with her, um, her brother. And, you know, she, she had completely, has completely cut him out of her life and no judgment. Yeah. 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 And, but she felt the need to, I think it was interesting. She felt the need to qualify that with me and to convince me that like why she had to let him go from her life when I'm still actively supporting mine. And I just let her off the hook. I said, look, no explanation needed, you know, none. Like you got to do what's best for you. Mm -hmm. Everybody's walk is different. And that's so true. That's so true. You have to honor people's decisions. Yeah. But how crazy is that? No, that's awesome. I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. But really, no. Like, of course, of course I believe it. Of course that person was put right in your path. Like that's, I, I just believe that that is how, that's how the universe works. That's how spirit works, you know, through and with us. I've had, you know, so many little moments like that, but, um, yeah, just the confirmation of that to me is like total confirmation that, okay, you're right on the path. You're right on purpose. You're right yep. where you're supposed to be. So staying open and like you would never have had that conversation if you had tried to hide or cover up you yeah. know, about coal, you would have never gotten to have that. And I think just a lot of it is coming up, you know, um, cause it, it's just, it wants to be, it wants to be healed. Yeah. And by being honest, we get to heal. Um, it's so true. A lot on a lot of different levels. Yeah. And I think, I think too, for me, like kind of coming up with this whole mindset of like, I really need to get this, I need to get this story out. I think when you feel spirit, spiritually aligned, mm-hmm. um, that's when you take action. Mm-hmm. And um, whether you're, you know, whether you're an addict or mental health, mm-hmm. any of that, but really for me, I'm speaking from where I'm sitting and probably mm-hmm. you feel the same way, that that's when you know, like I am, everything is spiritually aligned in my life and now I need to take action. And so yeah. I knew starting, starting a series like this was going to be really scary and vulnerable, but yeah. I had to do it because- yeah. Because your story, like so many others, is such a real story and people need to hear it. People need to hear our stories. It's just coming coming from a place. I think what you're talking about is like coming from a place of empowerment. Yes, I love that with, word so much. With it. And I love the word too. And then that's like kind of a topic that's been, you know, coming through for me right now with the whole... Um, recovery community and recovery movement is I think a lot of people can have this idea that um, recovery can be disempowering. You know, it's got kind of, there's a stigma, there's a stigma around that too. Not just, not just around, you know, the addict or the alcoholic, um, you know, who's using 
um, for themselves or for them family, but actually around recovery, recovery itself, I've come into contact, you know, with a lot of people who maybe didn't know that I was in recovery over the years who have had made little comments about, um, you know, oh, it's, oh, it's so depressing or, you know, everybody just sits around and talks about their sad stories <laughs> and like, like it's so disempowering. And I have had the total, you know, and everybody has a right to their experience. And if people have had that experience in recovery, that's okay. But I just am here to say that has not been my experience. What is disempowering is giving away all of my power to, to, to a, a drug or to alcohol because I can't, I can't um, live life on life's terms. I can't just be in life without having to numb or um, control the, control the environment with a mm -hmm. chemical, control my reaction to just life and the world with a chemical. That, to me, that's disempowering. You I know? love that. But to get sober and, um, you know, and on one hand, it's like we are, we're kind of like turning, you know, turning ourselves over to this um, recovery community for a period of time you know, kind of just like surrendering and turning ourselves over because we are kind of like out of options, out of ideas at, at that moment. But it's, but through the, the spiritual principles that we learn, the spiritual exercises that we do, we get um, so empowered. We get our yeah. lives back and you come from a place of empowerment to like reach out your hand and help another person who's struggling. That's, super empowering so I want to I want to um try to shed some light on that stigma around yes. recovery being um depressing boring a cult a religion <laughs> um disempowering I just want to say that has not been my experience no so. well clearly not and I am just so excited you said that because that is that whole mindset of like if you turn inward and you really reflect and meditate and pray and do all the things that you, you know, do or, you know, whatever your, uh, your thing is, mm -hmm. if it's praying to God, praying mm -hmm. to, to spirit guides, to the mm -hmm. universe, whatever, when you turn inward and you really reflect on saying to yourself, you know, this, I can't, I can't handle this on my mm -hmm. own. Like I need guidance. Yeah. I need support. I need you to intervene and take over. It's funny what happens because when you do that and you just basically give up in, mm -hmm. in, in that my, in that moment, yes, everything comes together. Right. It's almost as if the universe and everything has been waiting for you to say those things Absolutely. and, and take you on and say, yeah. okay, I've been, I've been here watching you. Yes. Your, your, your shit's out of control. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here now. Now I Let can me, work with you. And now I can you. work with you and yeah. I can co-create. Yes. You. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's also, um, you know, something that has been part of my journey in recovery is, you know, there's, there's always the higher power concept, right? And the, mm -hmm. that comes into play and there's the, the, you know, a, a God of your understanding, if you will, or a higher power source, universal intelligence, spirit, whatever you want to call that. What I love about recovery is that everybody gets 
the, the ability to find, figure that out for themselves. Yes. Um, stop, stopping the using of drugs and alcohol just brings you to a place where I feel like you can open your heart and your mind enough and surrender like what you were talking about enough to have that guidance come in and, you know, take, take the time to, um, work, you know, if you have dual diagnosis, if you have mental illness, getting rid of the um, addiction is, is a great first step. You know, the, the act of addiction is a great first step to being able to then work with that component. And then, you know, spirit can come in and just totally direct you and guide you to where you need to be. And I think there's also, it can feel a little bit disempowering or confusing maybe to think that, you know, this spirit or this God is something that is without, it's like, okay, well here, we gave all our power away to drugs and alcohol. Um, and now we're coming here and we're giving all of our power away to this, um, recovery movement and this God that's out there somewhere. So mm -hmm. what I want to say about that is that that God of, is within for me. It's Absolutely. within and it's it's within and it's without like my higher power. I think of a lot of time it's evolved and changed over time. And I think that's good. I think it should always be evolving and growing and changing, but I think of as my higher self. Yeah. You know, I think that I have a higher self that, that guides me. And then I have lower, you know, base instincts that sometimes get in there and control and, you know, manipulate and it, these um, character traits that that come forward when I'm in fear or I'm trying to control. That's all there too. It's all there together. Yeah. But if I can tap into that higher self, the higher power that's not just without but within, you know, I have a much much better chance of um, first of all staying sober and sane, and then um, responding, not reacting. You know, and hopefully having more balance you know, in my life. Girl, I see you. Ah, <laughs> I see, I see you. you. I, I see you. you. I love you. I can't even believe how remarkable you, you are on this, you know, on mm -hmm. this podcast. Like you've just shed so much, so much insight and education and love and hope. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was just thinking like one thought to kind of close this out is just, <laughs> And I know you agree with this if you have anything to add on, but if you, th if you think about the power behind the authenticity of sharing your own story, like we're doing right now, you realize how many people you can help. Mm -hmm. And, but most importantly, you're, you're also helping your own soul in the process. Mm -hmm. And there's right. a little piece of you that mm -hmm. um, repairs itself. Yes. You know, and um, falls, the, the negativity and the, and the old habits fall away mm -hmm. because a part of your soul is being healed. And that, yeah. you know, doing, doing something like this is healing for me as well. Um, and I know it is for you. And Absolutely. I am just so grateful for Thank you. you. Do you I have anything? You. Oh, I honor you. Do you have ah. anything to add at the end? My gosh, this is like a love fest. We love that each other so much. That was beautiful. I, I just, wish you were here to do my hair. I know. <laughs> if only um, that would be like the final consummation. No, but I just hope, you know, I, again, like you've been, you've been so generous. You've been so kind. So, you know, you've said so many nice things about me. I feel like my, again, like my story is just 
of, you know, of addiction and recovery is very average, very run of the mill story. But um, I feel like if I said one thing that, that helps one person, then it's worth it for me, you know, to come on here and do this. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't want you discounting your journey. <laughs> your journey is, is, is a very, um, was a very tough one. And Thank just you. because your story feels like it's, you know, average, right. it's not, it's a bit, it's a powerful, it's a powerful, powerful story. And can all, you know, every, everybody can recover. That's yeah. what I believe. I think everybody can recover from whatever, whatever they're going through. A special thanks to Carlin for sharing her uplifting story filled with hope, compassion, and true inspiration. I believe that people are put in your life along your path for a reason. And sometimes you don't even know why at the time. They arrive without an understanding as to what role they will play in your life. And sometimes there is a very clear reason why they've been called to you. Everyone deserves to have a Carlin in their life. And I am very, very lucky to know her. Subscribe for the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or visit lightfromtherabbithole.com. As my good friend Tony says, my mission is my movement. And I hope you were moved with just a little more kindness and compassion today. Until next time. As a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only and to bring awareness and resources to those in need. This show will have expressed opinions and it is not intended to replace the guidance of one's medical doctor.